Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Parents, do you worry about the news stories around climate change and the impact they have on your kids? What if I told you there was a podcast made just for families that brought together some of the world's biggest celebrities? We can make small changes that eliminate a lot of plastic in our lives. And the world's best scientists. So I thought, why not put all of this litter together and make it into a boat? Who all have good news to share. I'm James Stewart and this is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Over a year ago now, I got diagnosed with a uh, terminal degenerative neurological illness called Huntington's. You were a chemical engineer. I was, yeah. So I had a very boring uh, career pre-diagnosis. It had destroyed a large portion of my brain at that point, and I was very, very poorly. I was a very poorly girl and kind of ended up in intensive care. What was it like getting that news? It was a horrific diagnosis to receive. I'm adopted, so I had no idea that it, the genetics ran in my family, so it was a huge shock. I'm Sue Perkins. And I'm Kat Denkinson. You're listening to Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, a podcast about one woman who took on over six different identities, infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people, lied her way into gaining their trust, and built up a picture-perfect persona until she got tangled up in her own web of lies. This is episode five, The Fraud. So we've spent the past few episodes exploring some of the different aliases Samantha Cooks took on. But we haven't gone back to the one we started the story with yet, have we? Carrie J. Williams. Yeah. So Carrie's the persona we met in the very first episode. The final version, perhaps, that we have in plain view. The one that set off the domino effect that revealed all the other personas like a Matryoshka doll and how beneath them all was a woman called Samantha Cook and how each of Samantha's lies were connected. At the start of 2020, Carrie J. Williams burst onto the Irish literary scene after she won the Bodley Hair Literary Prize Fund run by the Financial Times. So first of all, tell me about the prize. Why is it so important? So it's a prestigious writing competition and it's run by the imprint of Penguin Random House, who are one of the biggest publishers in the world. The prize for winning the competition was also £1,000 cash. On top of that, the winner will be published in the Financial Times itself, giving them the opportunity to have their work read by hundreds of thousands of people. This is a big deal. So it's, it's a kind of competition that can just launch someone's career. It's a really big deal. And at the time, Carrie J. Williams, as Samantha was now calling herself, was an unknown writer. But she entered the competition and she won, launching herself into the literary spotlight. So what did she write? She wrote an essay called My Brain is in a Battle It Will Lose. And Carrie J. Williams claimed she'd written it with the support of assistive technology. The piece detailed Carrie's struggle of living with Huntington's disease and her determination to leave something of value in the world before the illness took her life. Let's hear some of what she wrote. I readjust the headset, make sure the microphone is right in front of my mouth and talk the computer to life, 
because my words literally have power. Open document, I say, and the screen obeys, presenting a document that records my words in text. Indent, capital. Gratitude creeps in when I'm not expecting it, comma. Because without this, capital, assistive, capital, technology, capital, I would officially be irrelevant now, period, capital. Silenced, period, capital. Forgotten, period, capital. Because, capital, I can no longer type, period, capital, or hold a pen, period, capital, or sometimes get my words out, period. I speak the words onto the page. The computer translates and I become one with the page. Something that was once so easy, speed typing words, sending emails, working, living, now reduced to a laborious task that requires concentration, determination and technology. I can still communicate, I think. I still have so much to say. The day I was handed my diagnosis, I'd never even heard of it. As the news seeped in, it wasn't death that frightened me, or even dying. It was being a burden, being irrelevant. Your genetic test showed something, the neurologist had said. Unfortunately, you have something called Huntington's disease. At the time, I'd been relieved. I'd never heard of Huntington's disease, so I naively presumed it couldn't be that bad. Sensing my positivity, he quickly extinguished it. Imagine Parkinson's meets ALS meets Alzheimer's in one disease. That's what you have. In the moments that followed, I learned there was no cure, very few treatments, that I was terminal, that my brain, slowly being destroyed by this disease, was in a war that it would lose. In the weeks that followed, I refused to even discuss assistive tech, let alone accept I needed it. Until typing became so challenging, I had to admit defeat. That memory haunts me every time I sit down at this desk and slide the headset over my ears. I'm grateful for the technology, for the ability to still communicate, but there are also those moments that chisel away at my self-esteem. Because when I look at the page, I see another challenge. That once this is finished, I will need to edit it. Remove the voice commands. Pretend I didn't need them. Make them fit your world. It's very, very powerful, this. It's incredibly visceral stuff. It's the story of a young woman with her whole life in front of her and that life being suddenly truncated by disease. A vicious, wasting disease that takes your faculties in plain sight. As well as showing you how the assistive technology helps her in this, it's really emotive. You know, I can still communicate. Mm. I still have so much to say. And the description of her disease as well, as Parkinson's meets ALS meets Alzheimer's, it's a real solid image of exactly what she was going through at the time. Yeah, of somebody with, with no solid footing, really, mentally or physically, losing the landscape of their mind and body. And of course, that's that's very impactful and a very important reminder that, you know, the world of disability is still very much a silent world. It's, it's an unlistened to world, you know, that many people in that community don't ever get the chance to get their story across. And if they do, then most people turn a deaf ear to it. I mean, this gave her a huge platform and it was a really well-written piece of writing. 
The only problem was the story was completely fabricated. Carrie Jade did not have Huntington's and she absolutely did not write it using assistive technology. This is so twisted. Because, of course, if she really was who she came to be, if that really was her experience of the world, it's such a powerful essay. It has the power to do so much good. It has the power to transform people who were fellow sufferers, to be a spokesperson for that hidden world. But because she's not afflicted with that terrible disease, it's just horrendous. It's bitter and spiteful and really twisted. It absolutely is. I mean, at the time, nobody, of course, knew they were lies. So Carrie J. Williams won the prize, got published in the Financial Times, and her career skyrocketed. Just like she had in all these small towns before, Samantha had successfully reinvented herself. She'd become Lucy the au pair, Rebecca the autism therapist, Claudia the parent, and now under her new name, Carrie J. Williams, she was a disability activist. And the prestige that came with winning that literary prize enabled her to trick thousands of people into believing that she was who she claimed to be. So she'd gone from convincing women in small towns to pulling off a scam that the internet and the literary community. I mean, this is the heart of the establishment. She even joined online writing communities, offering bursaries to struggling writers to help launch their careers off the back of it. And as is customary with all these stories we talk regarding her, no one's checking. Nope. Everybody trusted her. She'd won the competition, she'd written the essay, they could see it for themselves. In a way, once she's won that prize, the Financial Times becomes the calling card. It becomes the stamp of authority and authenticity, doesn't it? They're a massive institution. It's not some small blog here. This is a national newspaper. So Mm. if they're all right with it, why wouldn't anybody else be? So tell me how the writing workshops worked. So I spoke to Linda, who's a Canadian writer in her 40s, and she contacted me via Twitter DMs. She'd actually been a member of one of these writing communities, and I'll let her tell you how it all worked. It was late 2020, early 2021. It was in a series of writing workshops that I was attending with sort of a well-known writer that I'd known about. And at the time, she was Carrie Jade Williams. That's how I came to know her. Okay, these were online workshops, yeah? Yeah, they were all virtual workshops and it was in the height of the pandemic. So we were all looking for some connection and some new venues for our creative juices. And there was a lot on offer and Carrie was at a lot of them. (laughs) So in the beginning, Carrie Jade was just attending these workshops as a participant. But eventually she became such a motivating force and inspiration for other members that they started listening to her. She knew her stuff. She was so outgoing. She would reach out to people on these calls and make friendships really quickly. So I just thought she was, she was just this bright light in the middle of just a really hard time. God, everyone says that about her, don't they? Everybody. At the start of each story, she bursts into people's lives. Breath of fresh air, Bonnie, you know, really, uh, really cheerful, can-do, source of joy and light, etc. in a difficult time. The perfect piece of the jigsaw to fit into, you know, the, the, the lives of those who are struggling. Once she's gained their trust, it all goes to hell in a handcart. She starts interfering, she starts twisting things. And after a couple of months in these groups, Carrie started offering bursaries to other members bursaries and funding to launch their writing careers. So how much cash is she offering at this point? Well, we're not talking little bits of money here. You know, she wasn't offering to buy them pens and notebooks. She was suggesting they could get £10,000 grants. That's insane. Where's the money coming from? 
Well, this is the fun part. She told people in her writing groups that she ran a web development company and it was them who would be providing some of the money for these bursaries. She never gave a name for the company, but she did talk a lot about a large sum of money that she'd obtained by selling an app that she'd developed, an app that would help writers to find different opportunities. Okay, well, this is this is already dangerously familiar. She's done this with the church and Lapland. So, okay, I'm, I'm sensing there is no web development company. There is indeed no web development company. And as time went on, members of the writing group became equally suspicious. The app was the first time we sort of realised that things maybe weren't as they, they seemed because she would talk about, oh, the launch date is coming up. The launch date will be next week. And of course, it was an app that we were all interested in. We all wanted to find out about writing opportunities. So we'd ask her, when is, when's the launch? You said it was last week. So did Linda or any of the others in the writing group start to challenge her about it? They did, but Carrie had already told them at this point about a Huntington's diagnosis, and obviously they didn't want to put too much pressure on the very sick woman. A lot of people asked the question, wow, you know, you've just been diagnosed with this neurological disease, and you've mentioned that, you know, you're having trouble writing, and you're having trouble putting thoughts together, and yet, you know, you've developed this entire app. She always had an answer that just you know, somehow made enough sense that you could believe it. And you didn't really want to question it too far because, of course, it's somebody who who has a disease and you don't want to question their disability or disease, right? We have no idea what's going on in her head. And so we just trusted that what she said was true. She'd also used quite a number of other quite manipulative tactics to avoid their questions. I'd seen people confront her on calls and she would just always have an excuse that related to her disease. It was something like, I didn't show up for the call because I had a stroke or because I got the COVID vaccine and I couldn't get out of bed for a week. So anytime she would be confronted, the response would be something that would make you so feel so bad about having confronted her, right? And at one point along uh, the journey, she introduced what she called the fairness and kindness policy because people were starting to question her. And the policy basically said, I will be you know, overly kind in my interactions with anything to do with this writing group. So then anytime someone came up with something that seemed like they were questioning or not happy about things, she would pull up that agreement as, you know, that that behavior is not part of this. Yeah, so we all signed this agreement that said this. So she is so evasive. She's using every trick in the book to make sure that she's not questioned or held to account. Uh, How long does this go on for? Did anyone see any of the money that was offered by Carrie? So she's strung along for months in this group and nobody ever got a thing. It wasn't until her brain surgery appointment that anything really changed either. She had brain surgery? Well, no, that was just another story that Carrie told the group, claiming she'd be offline for a while to go to the US for this supposedly life-changing brain surgery. In her absence, she told them, a high-profile US literary agent would run the company and host their regular group chats. Uh, Okay, that that is a bold lie, but also potentially an opening for another persona. It is both, and luckily it had the same effect as all her other completely extreme lies. She said that this agent from the US, and she gave us the name of the agent, 
So she said, in August, this woman will be taking control. Here's her email. Of course, none of us heard from her. So someone went on to Twitter and found this agent and messaged her directly and said, hey, I don't know if you know, but you're supposed to be managing this writing group for the month of August. And for a while, she didn't respond. But she finally answered someone and said, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. So she actually took a real live person's name and attached it to this fantasy. We really realized that this was all a lie. Everyone must be really hacked off, you know, like all the other families and individuals we've talked about. They're offered everything they want, you know. It's almost like she has this rare gift of being able to ascertain the exact hopes and dreams of a community. She offers them exactly that and then just bails. They must be furious. Absolutely. They were completely furious. They were angry. They were disappointed. You know, all the money, all the grants that she'd offered them that could have been really life-changing for these people and just disappeared. I'd been trying to publish a book for a number of years and uh, the funding was going to be used to, to finally self-publish, right? I hadn't had any success getting my book published in traditional fashion. This is where Carrie really came in and gave a lot of hope. She said she'd connect us with editors that would help us to finalize the book, would help us meet agents that might be more interested in our type of book. So there was a lot of hope around that. So what happened once they'd found her out and, and realised she'd just sold them a, a pack of lies? Well, as soon as she disappeared to the US, they stayed together without her as a group and sort of chatted online, but the effect kind of lingered on. After a while, it just became really clear that nothing was going to be to manifest. Nothing that she had promised was going to come to fruition. At that point, she sort of disappeared for, for a while. And then, you know, we still chatted about writing and tried to pick up the pieces. But when I say that, that Carrie was a, an amazing motivator, I mean, she was incredible. She made you feel like you could do anything. And to this day, I'm, I feel quite cheated and, and hurt that someone could convince me you know, that they had my best interests at heart so wholeheartedly and just not be who they said they were. After the break, we'll be uncovering where Carrie ended up next and the lengths she would go to to keep building her reputation on a foundation of lies. Parents, do you worry about the news stories around climate change and the impact they have on your kids? What if I told you there was a podcast made just for families that brought together some of the world's biggest celebrities? We can make small changes that eliminate a lot of plastic in our lives. And the world's best scientists. So I thought, why not put all of this litter together and make it into a boat? Who all have good news to share. I'm James Stewart and this is Saving Planet Earth. Available wherever you get your podcasts. So where does Carrie Jade end up after after everything's gone south with the writing group? Was that enough to put the kibosh on her writing career? Unfortunately not. She was actually emboldened by her literary successes and she got so much media attention for her story. From interviews on Radio Kerry to articles in Newsweek, Carrie Jade Williams was telling everybody who listened about her Huntington's diagnosis. Over a year ago now, I got diagnosed with a uh, terminal degenerative neurological illness called Huntington's. 
It was a horrific diagnosis to receive. I'm adopted, so I had no idea that it, the genetics ran in my family. So it was a huge shock. You've been misdiagnosed for years, the neurologist says. This isn't in your head. This isn't in your head. So Huntington's disease is a genetic condition and it's incredibly rare and it's quite misunderstood. Not a lot of people are aware of it, what it is, how it works and so forth. You can't be tested for Huntington's until after you turn 18. And once you have, you then undergo several months of genetic counselling before you're given your results. And once they do the test, because it's such a devastating diagnosis, you then have six months of counselling to ensure that you're prepared for the results, basically. And for lots of people, the symptoms of Huntington's, they won't show up until, you know, they won't develop until they're in their 30s, 40s, maybe even 50s. So getting a diagnosis, I guess, is, well, it's extremely difficult to deal with. Carrie explained that she hadn't been diagnosed until she was in her 30s. And so what's her explanation for that? She said that because she was adopted, she hadn't known there was a family history of the condition. Right, was she adopted? No, no, she wasn't. And it wasn't the only thing she'd lied about. She actually had many different stories about how she'd been diagnosed. In one interview, she said her optician had diagnosed her. In another, she claimed she received the diagnosis following a seizure. And in a YouTube video, she claimed that she'd been misdiagnosed as mentally ill before a neurologist said, no, no, you've actually got Huntington's. So there's no consistency to her lying. And there's lots, of, and, and, and that's something I, I want to talk about at some point. I'll just touch on it here. Part of me thinks she wants to get found out. Part of me, because there's an inconsistency. But also part of me thinks she's deliberately changing the story because each time she changes it, she is drawing in a new community. She's drawing a community in who perhaps have been misdiagnosed. Oh, I had that problem. Oh, damn, you know, I didn't understand what was wrong with me until this happened. You know, so it's what she's banking on, of course, in all of these things is people not communicating across groups. Even in these tiny little towns, she's smart enough to know when and where she can tell people things and to know what she can tell to whom as well. Oddly enough, as implausible as it's now starting to sound, her story captured the hearts of everybody who heard it. Everybody wanted to meet and host this woman who was now claiming to have been a chemical engineer, an accomplished writer, she'd surmounted this hellish diagnosis, survived a year in intensive care, and on top of all that, she's won a coveted literary prize. I would have wanted to have met her. You know, of course everyone would. That is, that is an extraordinary story of human survival. But it's just manufactured nonsense. On top of all that, just for fun, she told Radio Kerry she'd also sold a screenplay to Netflix. The first of its kind written by assistive technology. Netflix have been remarkable. They purchased a screenplay, which is life-changing for me. I was the first person to write a screenplay using assistive technology. I'm sort of getting to the point where nothing surprises me. And yet, listen, it's a, it's a life-changing moment. It would be for anyone, getting a Netflix deal based on an essay. But of course, becoming the first person to write a screenplay using assistive technology. This would be the dream of so many writers with disability issues. And they're thinking that she's this bold pioneer and that she's opened the door and that they will be able to follow through that doorway themselves. But of course... It's, it's nonsense. Bold lies now, so big. I guess it's it's getting harder and harder because she's not going to. She's not the sort of person who's going to then diminish the line. She keeps keeps adding, and she's got to such a stage now. These lies are just gargantuan. They're absolutely crazy. And lying about the small things was easy to her, but her story had so many layers. 
It's surprising she didn't slip up at times, honestly. I mean, exhausting to, to keep up with her own confections, but I wonder how much she believed the persona she was inhabiting. Well, this is the interesting thing. This is the thing I'd love to understand. How much did it take to convince herself? Is throughout her different aliases, is it Samantha willfully tricking and duping? Or is this a woman who is deeply traumatised, believing as some form of dissociation or displacement, believing that she is these people for a certain amount of time until she runs out of steam? I think, yeah, it's a question for the ages, seriously. I don't think any of us will ever be able to, unfortunately, no. answer. I mean, what we do know is that the scale of her lies jumped exponentially. Yeah, it really did, that tiny whiff of fame. In October 2020, off the back of it, she actually won a place on the Kilraleg Writers' Retreat. I'd, oh, I'd love a writer's retreat. Have you been on a writer's retreat? I never have, no. I imagine it's extraordinarily sort of literary august people and sort of floaty linens just filling up notepads with sketches and imaginings and characters. And I mean, actually now I've said it out loud, I can't imagine anything worse. But um, yeah, what was it like? Well, from what I've seen, it wasn't too different, to be honest. It's a contemporary <laughs> art project, is Kirillag, that's run, they run residencies for writers, artists, painters in County Kerry. So it's lush fields, it's rolling hills, it's, it's, it's that picture-perfect Irish landscape, all that time to think and create. It's, it is a dream. It's a dream. It absolutely is. It's beautiful. And lots of people who have gone in the past have carried on to be published or have, have their work exhibited in galleries. So they're out there. You know, people are seeing their stuff. So winning a place must have put her in the upper echelons of Irish literary talent. This is no mean feat. It's not. She impressed everybody who met her at this retreat. I'd spoken to at least one of the other attendees and Carrie Jade told them that she wrote from 4am to midnight every day. She told them that one of her first ever pictures had been accepted by the New Yorker magazine. Well, that's a strong start to a writing career. It's a phenomenally strong start. It would have been if she was telling the truth. Yeah, of of course. (laughs) Well, by the end of the retreat week, people were falling over themselves to help Carrie Jade. They knew about the Huntingtons and they were helping her move her bed because she couldn't manage the stairs. Some people invited her to be a guest speaker at their lectures later in the year. I mean, she was everybody's favourite inspirational writer. And even the extremes of her story weren't enough to make anyone question her. And it's interesting, and I think this is is an an important point to, to, to make, that, of course, if someone tells us they are disabled. We believe them because there is usually no reason to think otherwise. And it's important that their experience is prioritised. And, of course, disabilities can look very different to different people. But there's also an ignorance, and I own this myself, there is an ignorance from my community. And it's that space between, you know, ignorance and shame and guilt, all those spaces where she has been allowed to thrive She's used this awkwardness around discussions around disability. She's used the natural reserve of people when discussing difficult things and, you know, illnesses. She's used that to, to, to propagate her lies. So she's sort of wearing her disability like a, not just like a shield, but as a, a weapon to almost befuddle and obfuscate the truth. She's established herself as this brave activist and this incredible woman. And none of the journalists that she spoke to had questioned any part of her dazzling life story, this improbable career, or, more importantly, the fact that she'd recovered from the late stages of a degenerative illness with a 100% mortality rate. That's what drew you in, wasn't it? This, this simple fact. It absolutely was. 
because before I was a journalist, I was a mental health support worker and I've actually worked with people who have late-stage Huntington's disease. And one of the articles about Carrie Jade noted that she had apparently reached late-stage Huntington's, was unable to walk, talk or feed herself and had then miraculously recovered. And to me, that was just a mahoosive red flag. Yeah, because, well... You understood the story didn't add up because, as you say, you've had direct experience working with patients who suffer from that disease. But someone without your experience, without personal interactions with Huntington's patients, maybe it would seem plausible. I don't know. It probably wouldn't because Huntington's isn't very well understood or known about in the general sense. And unless you have it within your family or your immediate friends, people aren't going to recognise the signs and symptoms or what's off kilter. Huntington's affects about eight in every 100,000 people. So, yeah, you're not going to just stumble across this in your day-to-day life as a rule. And there's also the fact that as a society, we don't question people if they say they're ill. If someone says they've got a condition, then we accept it. Yeah, and of course we lean in and we're empathetic. And when engaging that part of our brains, you know, you're not activating the suspicious parts. It's very hard to be empathetic and suspicious at the same time. I mean, one of the reasons she was able to get away with all these lies was she's Quite the convincing actress, is she not? I was wondering the same thing. And I spoke to psychologist Dr. Christian Hart, who's the director of the Human Deception Lab at Texas Women's University. I love the fact there's a human deception lab. This is what he had to say. When we've looked at um, people who are very successful liars, what we see is that the traits and characteristics that make them good liars are the same traits and characteristics that make anyone believable, whether they're being honest or whether they're being dishonest. The first thing is confidence. People who are confident and composed use certainty in their language, have a very certain tone of voice. We tend to find them more believable. Also, people who are friendly and pleasant and have an engaging interactional style, we tend to believe them more. People who are able to create plausible stories, we find more believable. And so basically good storytellers tend to be more convincing liars. And then people who can avoid any kind of outward signs of nervousness and anxieties. First things first, Samantha is an excellent storyteller. Despite all the plot holes and inconsistencies. But I guess what she's doing is is giving her audience in that moment what they want. And every audience is different. You know, I, I think that's what's happening. From everything we've heard so far, former friends, to the essay that we read earlier, she's just really good at weaving together a convincing, emotional story that's going to really pull at people's heartstrings. And of course, as humans, we love stories. We want to believe in the underdog. And as you've mentioned before, every tall tale she told painted her as a victim, showing us how she overcame adversity, casting her in the role as the brave survivor. Absolutely. And she's used her charm and storytelling skills to trick people like this pretty much throughout her life. You know, it's how she gets people to like her. From convincing her employers they don't need to see references to encouraging sympathy, weaving these emotional heartstring tugging stories, Samantha's always made people believe in her. Taking on the mantle of disabled heroine, she basically turbocharged her ability to win people over. She you know, pulled them into her life, convincing them to invest in her and to give her opportunities because nobody wanted to question the poor sick woman. People are, tend to be very conflict avoidant. And so even if I suspect someone might be lying to me, it would cause a tremendous relational rift for me to call them out or to suggest that they're not being honest. And so unless it's terribly important, we tend to just let these, these lies go if, if we believe someone's being dishonest with us. And this included the mainstream media. 
Most journalists who interviewed her didn't really question her background. Only a bare handful did their due diligence at all. After I published my story about Carrie, I heard from an editor who had asked the right questions. Abby Beale at New Scientist magazine told me that Carrie had pitched her a story about her supposed brain surgery. Being at New Scientist and knowing her stuff, Abby started asking technical questions, pretty quickly realised it was all rubbish and declined the story. Most journalists and editors, though, didn't do that, did they? They did not, and it only compounded the problem. Whilst people avoid conflict with their friends and neighbours, it's our job as journalists to make sure that the stories we tell are based in fact. And this definitely does not mean questioning someone's illness or disability, but when the actual facts of a situation don't add up, we should be asking these questions. So what should the journalists who wrote about Carrie have been asking? What were the questions that, that went missing? There were a number of inconsistencies they could have picked up on. Firstly, the deal with Netflix, they could have confirmed with a call to the company. And did you do that? I absolutely did. It took me about a day and a half to find the number, ring the number and find out that they'd never even heard of her. Well, also, they could have asked for details about the company she'd supposedly worked at as an engineer or the name of the surgeon or the hospital who were performing her groundbreaking brain surgery. I mean, all of these things would have revealed inconsistencies. But the thing about lies is, of course, eventually, eventually, they catch up with you. There's only so much time you can pretend to be somebody else before you get caught out. And it was the boldness of Carrie's lies that would be her undoing. Because in 2022, high on the success of her newfound fame as an activist, Samantha, who was at that point Carrie Jade Williams, went one step too far. She told a lie on the internet that would see her house of cards come crashing down, setting off a chain of events would ultimately lead to her downfall. Next time in the sixth and final episode of Carrie Jade Does Not Exist. Pain is such a like murky, watery subject. We give of our time, our friendship, our family. We kind of always err on the side of cynicism when it comes to people's pain. I just thought she was lovely, she was caring, she was compassionate. It's hard to be listened to and heard. I actually put her number into WhatsApp and realised that her number's still active on my phone. Why the hell aren't we calling it? We can if you want. Should we try? If you knew Carrie, or indeed any of the other aliases she went by, and have a story to share, then email us at Carrie Jade does not exist at gmail.com. That's Carrie Jade does not exist, all lowercase or one word, at gmail.com. Carrie Jade does not exist is an audio always original production hosted by me, Sue Perkins. Catherine Denkinson reported the original story and wrote the series. It was produced by Rafaro Faith Mazarura and executive produced by Elsa Rochester. Craig Edmondson is the sound designer and Joe Meek the editor. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Spring? 
Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The Eucalyptus Fiber Upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.